When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. How would you like to ramp up your club's game day atmosphere? Big Screen Video is giving 10 lucky sports clubs the chance to win a $10,000 grant towards their own digital scoreboard. Register now at iCanWin.com.au slash BSV. Thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, leaders in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. Welcome to the First Serve, your home of tennis. And he dethrones the champion and is through to the quarterfinals. 
I was just impressed with her win over. Sansonova has been one of the four yeah. players in the women's side. Oh, yeah. won, I think won more matches than anyone else. And I think Isla really just destroyed her in the second set. Well, particularly after the shaky first. I mean, that, that was always going to be the question, wasn't it, Peter? Yeah. How, how was she going to back up from the, yes. the big occasion of playing Serena? Was there going to be yeah. a, a letdown? Yeah. She said post-match, yeah, she felt a little flat. She was 5-1 down, fights back to win the tiebreaker, and then really went to work in the second set and just sort of proved that she'd been on a bigger stage than uh, Ludmilla, who, as you rightly say. I mean, she'd come in with 13 consecutive wins on the tour, so she was in a rich vein of form. But, yeah, Isla was uh, – she was absolutely brilliant. I mean, she spoke uh, beautifully, you know, post-match uh, v Serena, knowing the occasion was all about uh, Serena Williams. And, look, she's a, as good a chance as anyone, I think, Peter, left in the field. Yeah, well, Onstrabor, I think, will be tough next match, but there's no reason she can't beat her. Um, and then I think, as I said, if she just keeps this form up, um, yeah, there's not many I don't think can match her, her stroke play, put it, just, put it that way anyway. Mm, she's in the city where dreams are made of, Pete. Yeah. Anything can happen. Emma Raducanu found yeah. out last year. Yeah, so. wouldn't, it, wouldn't it be funny? Wouldn't it be, <laughs> yeah, wouldn't it be good to be all, all Aussie men and women's final winners? That'd be great. Well, yeah, and possibly, I mean, in the doubles, we've got maybe the makings of an all-Australian final like we did in, in Melbourne earlier this year, potentially. So, yeah, so many storylines and scripts. So, outside of the Aussies, Pete, who do you think are the best contenders to be lifting the trophies in a week's time? Well, I think the curious, when you beat, whenever you beat the number one seed... I think you know, people. Well, he's now the favourite, isn't he? Yeah. So I you, think there's a good chance for him. But you, I, I think Ireland's almost an outside chance as well. Yeah, but if you just um, out, probably, outside of the Aussies, who, who are the best chances? Oh, sorry, outside in both men and women. Yeah. Look, I think, I think in men, I think um, I still think Rafa would um, be the biggest threat, and in the women, um, well, Patrick Avilova, not always plays well in in the US, but mm. I think she's um, up there now. She's got the experience, and perhaps on on Jabour. That's why I think if Isla can can beat on Jabour, I, I think she'll undeniable chance. Good stuff, Pete. Hey, love your contribution to kick off our show uh, tonight. Really appreciate uh, that. And Petra will start the day at one a.m. Eastern against Jessica Bagula. So yeah, huge opportunity for uh, Kavitova coming off that really good win against uh, Muguruza. I mean, when she's on, she's on. Look, I, I want to acknowledge this text uh, from Alex, 0433981116. Uh, stop it, please. Tom Yanovich is hardly an Aussie. Now, <laughs> this does uh, certainly uh, come up, and, you know, I'm, I'm always going to be authentic uh, with microphone in hand doing uh, this show. I suppose it's been easier to probably embrace uh, Daria Seville, formerly Daria Gavrilova. She's married an Aussie. She lives in Melbourne. Uh, I mean, take away the Russian accent. I feel like there's so much Aussie in Dasha who made Australia her home. Like so many people across so many um, nationalities who have made Australia their home, they've become Australian. In Isla's case, it is an interesting one from Croatia to spending a large part of her life in America. And I've been over to the US at tournaments where she gets a lot of support. She's almost like an American in a sense because she spent so much time over there and then obviously came to Australia. She was going out with Nick for a while, gets Australian uh, citizenship, plays under the Australian banner, but doesn't really live here or spend that much uh, time here. So I can sort of uh, get that text. Uh, yes, we support all the Australians, but do we have that probably close affinity with Isla Tomjanovic? Look, probably not in all honesty, but you could say that for a lot of our Australian tennis players because they don't live in our backyard here. Unlike AFL footballers, other codes that are more domestic where you feel like you can reach out and touch them and have that um, have that sort of uh, connection, if you like. A little different with the tennis players. Uh, but, look, we embrace uh, what she's doing. Uh, she's playing a, a terrific uh, brand of tennis, no doubt. Uh, 04 98 11 16 off the text. Kyrgios is a good chance, but I'm always nervous with Nick. Well, I, I probably feel less nervous. And there were times uh, today in that match against Medvedev, and I think Todd Woodbridge you know, summed it up so well with his running commentary in that match. And I love working with Todd, doing uh, the nine stuff and picking his brain. He's uh, so astute in uh, assessing 
all tennis players, because he's been there and done that. He's been in the pressure cooker moments of uh, professional tennis. And you do want him just to be able to play the percentages, get it done. So the, the best form of entertainment is for him to just play his game, not showboat. I mean, if you're 40 love up and you're 5-2 up, then maybe you can showboat. But I think maybe he's realising when to put that away. So there's a there's a penny that is certainly starting to drop with uh, Nick that I feel a little less nervous because I think he realises now that he's belonging on this big stage. This is his home. This is where he should be. There's no doubt when he's playing top five tennis, he should be in the second week of all the majors that he plays if he just gets the job done. You can still entertain, but just get the job done because there's just too many um, too many shots, too many tricks, too many uh, assets that he possesses in his game that are far too good for so many other players. I mean, if we match him up against Hutchinov in the next round, I mean, Karin at one stage was the leading Russian player before the emergence of Medvedev and Rublev and then Karatsev came along, had that great run at the Australian Open. But he got found out a little bit just being too one-dimensional. You know, big serve, big forehand. That's where I feel Alexei Popperin's sort of at in trying to develop the next phase of his game to get forward more, to have a little bit more touch. I mean, the use of the drop shot now is becoming so common in uh, in men's and women's tennis, but particularly for the men. I mean, look the way Nick uses it. Look at the way Carlos Elcaraz uses that drop shot. So, yeah, I probably feel a little less nervous, but... Look, he puts himself right in the frame, no doubt. Alex is in uh, South Yarra tonight. He's given us a call, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Hello, Alex. Hi, VP. Uh, just wanted to call to celebrate the uh, Grade 1 tenant champion, Kuyong, from uh, from the weekend. It was an uh, enthralling final series. And uh, Dave Bidman and Greg Jones got it done down at Royal South Yarra on the weekend. So well done for it. Nice. I think I did see a little poster pop up in my feed, actually. Uh, that is a beautiful club to Royal South Yarra. That's, uh, that is magic. Uh, tell us a bit more, Alex. Um, I've been following them, like the, the grade one guys, um, through the final series. And, um, yeah, I think um, a couple of players were a bit sick and they toughed it out. Um, good conditions down there on Saturday. And, um, yeah, I, I was just amazed. Like, the standard of tennis is phenomenal, given, you know, their UTRs are sort of 11 to 13, and there's, like, 20 people watching. And I'm like, wow, this is just sensational tennis. Like, heavy shots, kick serves, like, yep. the whole whole deal. Um, <laughs> and I just think, like, it's, like, this un, untapped thing that people can go and watch and appreciate tennis all year round. So... Um, yeah, though, it was fantastic to watch. It's a really good point you raise because we see at the end of the year, and I did the, um, uh, what was it last year? I did down at uh, Melbourne Park a little bit of commentary. It went on to KO for the, was it, I think it was the Tennis Victoria Premier League. And you're looking at, you know, some of the some of the talent. So we had obviously some of the Aussies who are on tour come back and play, but you had sort of that, that next level, if you like, and the level was uh, extremely high. And, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting one how you sort of market that uh, so that you can get, you know, more eyes uh, on it, Alex. Uh, do you play yourself? I I do play. I do play, but um, I'm not at that level, but I'm probably passionate for that level. <laughs> I play down at Dendi. Um, but, yeah, like, it was... Uh, I, I just find it, um, you know, amazing. Like, we underappreciate people like Greg Jones and David Bidman who are, like, making, like, the first round of a grand slam because, you know, their names don't go up in lights and they don't they don't maybe have the top, top talent as someone as Nick Kyrgios. They're amazing athletes with yeah. awesome hand eye coordination and yep. it's just like like from my perspective as someone who's like terrible, um, <laughs> but loves it, it's just awesome to see and and, and they they're very passionate about it and they train lots and they you know, it's it's so good to see like tennis um, inspiring people and young people to like play throughout their lives as well um, from all sorts of clubs, not just the big ones like Royal Sathiara and Kuyong, but like the yeah. smaller clubs. No doubt. Mm-hmm. Hey, great call. Yeah, Greg Jones, I think got, Greg got to about, what, 200 in the uh, rankings. I remember watching him down at the wild card many years ago. And David Bidmead, I mean, uh, he is uh, Kuyong when you think of uh, bidders. Uh, he's uh, entrenched it down there. What a beautiful place to go and uh, play tennis and just park yourself for a meal or use the gym or um, just take in the history of 
uh, Kuyong, and he's been obviously you know the hitting partner of many Aussies. Uh, I think it was on tour you know with Bernard Tomic there for a period and worked with Grothy and a few others. So yeah, great call. Good on you, Alex. Uh, thank you for that. Really appreciate it. Let's have a listen to some thoughts of uh, Nick Kyrgios after his uh, win today against uh, Daniil Medvedev. And, you know, it was an amazing experience, obviously taking down the number one player in the world on Arthur Ashe Stadium. But I don't really like to celebrate too much after, you know, that because I know that if I played him nine more times, he's probably getting on top of the majority, majority of the time. So, you know, I just take it and just get back to, you know, the right things. I just, I'm just really, I just stayed in the moment. And that's it. I felt like when I was really struggling mentally, I was very selfish. I felt like it was all about, like, I was like, I feel bad. Like, I don't want to play. Like, and then I looked at the people closest to me and how much I was letting them down. And I didn't want to do that anymore. And then, I don't know, I just tried to just look at my career. And I was like, I feel like I've got so much left to give to the sport. Um, And I just... That's it. I just trained hard. I just put my head down. I was like, look, let's just get in shape. Let's get in better shape, first of all. And then let's see, like, how it goes. And then, I don't know. I've just, obviously winning helped. You know, I've been winning a lot this year and the motivation's been there. And it's easy to train. It's easy to wake up, obviously, when things are going great. But I just was really sick of just letting people down. Um, Yeah, the first set, I guess, was the most important thing. You know, I feel like if he got that first set, it was going to be a pretty much impossible task for me to come back and win but um you know I just thought I played the right way you know I returned unbelievable today um just thought the third and fourth set were just so free and I was just having a lot of fun and just embracing every moment out on Ash today so really proud of that um you know obviously I felt like I disrupted his rhythm a little bit didn't let him kind of get comfy behind the baseline and play his style of tennis and I think that's what you have to do but yeah I was really overall pretty happy with my performance. Some thoughts of uh, Nick Kyrgios uh, post at the win today. So Karin Hutchinov uh, next. And then if he got through that, would meet the winner of uh, Berrettini, who I think is the dark horse in this uh, second week. He's uh, he's building beautifully. Obviously missed uh, the French Open with that hand issue. Missed uh, Wimbledon. Had to pull out late with COVID. But uh, what, fifth consecutive time he's made the quarters of a major Berrettini. I mean, that uh, forehand is absolutely devastating. So uh, that's going to be a tricky one. Then obviously Nadal and Alcaraz are the two big draw cards on the other side of the draw. But live rankings, uh, Nick is back where he should be. And if the Wimbledon points had accounted, he would have been inside the top 10. But he's at 18, Demonor at 20, and then a fair gap, obviously, to Duckworth, uh, Kokonakis, Popper and Kubler. In that sort of 70 to 100 range, Thompson and Millman uh, just outside. Uh, we are underway with our wrapper of the US Open, all thanks to AATC, Australasian Academy of Tennis Coaches, providing quality coach education right across the globe. Courses delivered by industry leaders and tennis business owners. You can learn locally, coach globally, internationally endorse, inquire and enrol at aatc.tennis. We'll come back after the break, have a listen to Isla Tomjanovic. Happy to take out your calls. Anything Uh, about the US Open or outside of the US Open. More than happy for you to put whatever you like on the tennis agenda tonight. Uh, 1-300-736-736. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, leaders in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. The First Serve, your home of tennis. Welcome back to the first serve, Brett Phillips tonight. Happy to take uh, your calls. A 90-minute edition, of course, during the slams through to 9.30. We'll go to New York after 9 o'clock. Our men on the ground, uh, Courtney Walsh, uh, covering uh, the US Open. You can check in on our website, all the wraps of the day, thefirstserve.com.au. Follow us on our socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, you name it. Uh, we are covering uh, the world of tennis, uh, not only the US Open, but, of course, the, the whole gamut of uh, Australian tennis. So Nick Kyrgios... Our hope uh, still there to play Hutchinov now. Just a quick uh, pricey of the Aussies. Uh, Alex uh, Demonor, look, ran into a red-hot Pablo Carreño booster. Although the uh, scoreline of the first two sets was a, a big surprise considering how competitive Alex uh, is, uh, 6-1, 6-1. The comeback was always uh, going to happen, but I reckon that's a little opportunity missed uh, for Alex. Uh, Jordan Thompson going down to Galan in five. I mean, I mean that's, that's the thing with Tomo, isn't it? He doesn't. Uh, he doesn't possess the weapons to be able to just make life a little easier. I love his competitiveness. I love the fact he wears his heart on his sleeve and he gives it his all. His fitness level is uh, up there with uh, the absolute best in the game. So he, uh, you know, 
dots the I's, crosses the T's, but you are blessed what you're blessed with. Uh, John Millman, uh, that was an extraordinary win by Emilio Nava, who then went on to take the first set against Andy Murray on Ash in the next match and sort of ran out of steam. But a wild card uh, just outside the top 200 who'd never won a tour match uh, comes out in round one against Millman and hits 61 winners. And I, I just wonder where John's sort of at now. He's had a tough couple of years, uh, being on the road a hell of a lot, some injury, uh, about a COVID uh, this year, 33. Um, just where is his mind at? I mean, there's look some talk uh, going around that uh, possibly the Australian Open could be his last, but uh, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, Kokonakis runs into Kyrgios, which is a little unfortunate for uh, Thanasi. Um, pound for pound, Nick is a better player, but uh, we want to see Thanasi uh, take the next step and get inside the top 50. Uh, James Duckworth hasn't had the same continuity this year, missing uh, four months. A good win against O'Connell. Had his chances, certainly against uh, Dan Evans, to maybe get that to five, but Evans is uh, a player that uh, you don't really want to run into. He's uh, He's got all the shots. Uh, Dan, he's uh, pumped up with jelly beans every time he comes out to play. Um, he's a difficult customer. O'Connell started really well against Duckworth. Um, he looks the part, Chris, but to go to the next level and win Grand Slam matches, and that's what he's got to do if he wants to be a regular fixture inside the top 100. Uh, Kubler and Popper and got in two really tight matches. I, I think there's still enormous upside for Jason Kubler. Uh, Popperin's, I think, the continued interesting watch just with his game style. And um, I think we all enjoyed, didn't we, Rinky Hijikata and uh, how he took it up to Rafael Nadal. And I had, uh, what, about four or five people the next day uh, say, who the hell's Rinky Hijikata who don't follow tennis like we do at the first serve? Well, everyone now knows who Rinky Hijikata is, the boy from Sydney, has cracked the top 200 this year. Just really diligent about uh, being a professional tennis player. Goes about his business in a really professional manner. Has also gone down the college path over in the US. And he uh, played some uh, blistering tennis against Nadal to take that first set. And, of course, had his breakpoint opportunities uh, in the fourth to maybe extend it to five. But Rafa uh, was able to uh, steady. I'll let Tom Janovic on the women's side through to the quarters for a back-to-back majors. A tough one today against... Ludmilla Samsonova, she'd won 13 straight. She got out to 5-1, but to Isla reset, she's through. Let's have a listen to the Aussie. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's been a little tough just because a lot of people came up to me personally and, and um, you know, said what they said, and that felt really nice. But at the same time, I, it did drain my energy a little bit. Um, but I think my will to go further in this tournament was really strong, and I didn't want to stop, you know, just after what happened on Friday night, I thought I, I deserved more. Um, and I definitely wanted to go for more. So, you know, I dug deep because I felt like I, you know, I, I had more left in me. Yeah. It just feels really good to back up a win that I think got a lot of attention. Um, just felt like it's been a really big 48 hours and I, I didn't really feel like myself today the whole day. I don't know. It just uh, felt a little bit drained. So after that slow start, I just didn't want to go out like that and uh, pick myself up and fought back really hard um, and played some quality tennis after that. She did play some quality tennis after that, no doubt. Uh, just one on the text after defeating Serena Isla is in the inevitable position of never having to buy another drink in any pub in Australia. Well, she'll go down in history as uh, the last player to play uh, Serena Williams. I'm going to get to a fascinating post in the New York Post by uh, sports uh, columnist uh, Phil Mushnick, who hasn't held back on Serena. It's a very different take to what I've heard uh, over the weekend. So Isla at a career-high 34 live of the other Aussies. Daria Seville, like, unfortunately for Dasha, I mean, it may it's always a danger, isn't it, playing the tournament in the week leading up to a slam. For a lot of players, they need to play it. They want to play it. They want to boost their ranking. They want to win a title. Uh, but she had less than 48 hours to get to New York, and it probably just caught up with Dasha losing in the first round. Jamie Foolis uh, went down in the first round to Yuan, who's gone on to have uh, a little bit of a run, of course, through to the third round, lost to Bagula. Uh, but uh, she was uh, terrific. Uh, the qualifier, 142 in the world, the small margins that we talk about. Uh, but, Jamie, obviously the next step is to win some Grand Slam matches. That is her uh, challenge. Uh, Greg's in beautiful Strathbogie in uh, Victoria. Hello, Gregory. Welcome. Oh, thank you so much, mate. And thanks for all you do for us. 
not just when the Grand Slam's on, but always. Now, can I ask you a question? Indeed. Is it time? Is it time? To like Nick. (laughs) Well, once again, I always say... I'm never personally. I'm never here to character assassinate. So we have to. We have to make a judgment, don't we? I actually had a, a great conversation with Todd Woodbridge uh, as we were crossing paths on nine today. So I won't share. That's an off-air uh, conversation. But both of us had the uh, the common uh, thought, the shared thought that we want to embrace him. His tennis is from another universe, Greek, what he does on a tennis court. And this is why we've always believed, no doubt, that he can be world number one, he, he, permanent top ten, should be in contention for majors all the time. But we know the reasons why he hasn't uh, been that. Each to their own, each go on a different journey. You know, the, the Nick Kyrgios uh, package, some of it's easy to embrace, and there's other parts that are hard to embrace at times, aren't they? You sort of... You know, you're left scratching your head thinking, why? Why do you act like that? Why do you do that? Um, you don't know the person uh, deep inside out because I don't live in his life. I don't live around his uh, uh, dining room table with his family. I don't see the interaction with the people closest to him. So, you know, in our position, we, we make a judgment on him as the athlete, the sports person. And there are stuff that, you know, there is stuff that's just hard to condone at times and hard to understand. But if he if he keeps, Greg, letting his tennis do the talking... I mean, many sports people, many tennis players have had sort of two journeys, haven't they, Greg? We think of, I suppose Agassi just comes to mind. Well, I mean, I'm not, there's no, I'm not a direct comparison there with Kyrgios, but went from being sort of the rebel and the punk to this you know, great statesman of the game. Where Nick's going to land, I'm not sure. But he's a fascinating character to listen to. I will, I will say that, just what's ticking in his mind, Greg. And I think also you get a sense he's maturing. I know it's late. I know it's late in his life. But do you remember Leighton? We didn't like Leighton with the come on at the initial stages. But gee, we grew to like him when he was number one in the world of winning Wimbledon US Open. So I reckon it might be time for us to be a bit forgiving, even old people like me who love the white and the tradition and get behind him. And look out, I reckon he's going to be major influence over the next 12 months. Oh, look, he's a star on the court. His tennis is unbelievable. Thank you, Greg. I do appreciate uh, your thoughts. And I, I know he references that, you know, there's a lot of people on my back and uh, the doomsdayers. Uh, but a lot of those people, I, I can I can tell you, just want to see Nick actually do well. They're frustrated. They actually want to see him do well. So they're not, they're not trying to necessarily be negative uh, towards him. It's that outward frustration that, my goodness, look at the talent on your little finger. Maximise it. Get the most out of this sport that you are uh, that you are part of, that's your uh, occupation. Uh, we're here thanks to Hume Tennis and Community Centre. It's a little mini Melbourne park in Melbourne's north. It's got tennis for everyone. Perfect also for coaches and players if you're coming from interstate to train and compete close to Melbourne Airport. Accommodation available. You can find out more at humetennis.com.au. Thanks to GLG Greenlife Group. Leaders in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. The First Serve, your home of tennis. Welcome back to The First Serve on this uh, Monday night. We're turning into week two of the US Open. Plenty of Australians in contention. Nick Kyrgios, Isla, Tom Janovic, the uh, kokonakis Kyrgios combination. Nebden Purcell in the doubles. We've got chances in the women's doubles, some juniors as well. Joe's in Northcote. He's given us a call. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. You can do the same. Welcome to you, Joe. Joe, mate. How are you? Very good. Thank you. Um, yeah, just on Nick, I mean, uh, can you explain to me, you, you, your previous caller said, is it time to like Nick? I've never understood anyone that doesn't like the bloke. Like, what's, what's he ever really done wrong? Like, is he... Uh, I've never heard him say anything that could be offensive or racist or whatever it may be off the court. He seems like, of course, on the court, he's, he's frustrating to watch, especially as an Aussie. Um, but how can you not like the bloke? Like, you watch sport and you watch tennis to be entertained. He's the greatest entertainer that the, that the game's got and the greatest entertainer that I think that we've seen in the last 10 years. I, I just don't understand the infatuation at times of trying to tear this bloke down. 
Yeah, and look, Joe, uh, I mean, I'm in a position where I have to talk tennis and not only on this show, but right across uh, the network for a decade, we've been covering uh, Nick Kyrgios. And I'm going to be hand on my heart, uh, Joe, it hasn't always been the easiest ride. I mean, uh, once again, it comes down to what you accept and what I accept and what the next person, the next person accepts as, uh, you know, decent uh, behaviour of a, a human being. I, I, I don't think, is, I mean, there's a lot of us who are not trying to necessarily tear him down, but haven't always condoned the way he's uh, carried himself. I mean, have you always condoned the way he carries himself out on court and the, the moments that he's had? I mean, in sport, it's especially a sport like tennis, which I played growing up a yep. fair bit, it's, it, can, it can be frustrating. And for me, it feels like a lot of the time those frustrations are uh, upon himself. And we've seen that over the years. I, I just, I look at someone like Kyrgios and I look at someone like Serena Williams, who this week has been lauded for her career, but... She's no saint, and if we look back a few years, you know, threatening linesmen and yeah. and not getting, you know, not paying the due diligence and respect. So I think it was Osaka who beat her in the U.S. Open final in a press conference. Like, yep. I, I just don't, I, I don't understand the polar opposite views of two players, where you can you can really pinpoint in one in Serena a, a number of incidents where I, I certainly wouldn't condone the comments or, or the actions that she takes in her press conferences at times and the way that she, she holds herself on court. Mm. Um, but then it's so easy to pin, to point the finger at Nick because I guess he's, it, it's because it's just so overexpressive and it's so exaggerated on court and that's just what people want to pick on. I, I don't know, mate. That's, it's, obviously, it's just my opinion, but um, I, I've just always struggled to understand whether where the contempt for him has come at times. No, I, I absolutely respect your opinion. Everyone's entitled to their opinion. No problems with that. Thank you, Joe. Uh, and Nick's polarised for a decade, and uh, his tennis is incredible. If we're just purely watching the aesthetics of tennis, it is brilliant. That's why we want him to do well, because of the uh, freakish talent uh, that he has. Do we understand the person totally? No, because we're not in his head. We're not in totally in his world, and... Um, we have to make a judgment call. Uh, as I say, always, we're not here to character assassinate the guy, but you know there are just moments that have left all of us who either are commentators or just the general public who love the sport. We're left scratching our head as to why, why, why do you go down that track? Is that is that necessary? And there's always the comparison with those who just conduct themselves in a very even manner. Uh, but sport is made up of lots of different characters who express themselves in uh, in different ways. And at the end of the day, personally, I just want to see him be the best tennis player he can be because when he's just playing tennis, that's entertainment. We don't need everything else. We do not need uh, everything else. Just away from uh, the US Open, uh, Courtney Walsh up after a 9 o'clock. I just wanted to give a little shout-out to Omar Jessica, who well, it's a sort of a nice little time because he was the 2014 US Open boys singles and doubles champion. Now, we know Omar has been through a lot uh, off court in the last few years, suspended from the tour. Then COVID came. He couldn't uh, get back on the tour. He's been grinding this year, 50-plus wins, had no ranking. He uh, was a runner-up and a challenger in uh, Bangkok in Thailand over the weekend. And that was his first challenger final in five years since um, he made one in Australia back in 2017. So he's close to cracking the top 300. And you just talk about young guys with incredible talent. The take two version, hopefully for Omar, a little bit of redemption, is to get back even higher than where he was as a a very uh, young guy, 239 in the world. So um, Omar, I just hope he keeps uh, kicking on. We'll no doubt catch up with him at some point, a little bit later on uh, in the year, uh, perhaps when the year is uh, said and done. As I said, 50-plus wins. He's been travelling to all parts of the globe. And that's what you have to do to grind and grind just to get back, to be a chance to put yourself back into qualifying for a slam and maybe dream uh, certainly uh, beyond that. one three hundred seven three six seven three six or on the Tennis Direct text tonight, 0433981116. Of course, Australia's favourite online tennis store, fast delivery, great prices, free delivery on orders over $150, 10% off using the code FIRSTSERVE10. Thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, leaders in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. The First Serve, your home of tennis. You've got mail. 
indeed we have. Uh, we always get mail uh, into the uh, first serve. Uh, we'll get back to the US Open. Courtney Walsh after nine. Uh, also here from the Emersons as well. Uh, not the Emersons, the Joneses. Emerson and Hayden Jones uh, coming up as well. But uh, UTR obviously has been a huge talking point uh, this year. I received a bit more uh, mail this week. Let me start by introducing myself. I am an IT professional who has been working as a business analyst for the past 18 years. I'm also a mother of an 11-year-old aspiring tennis player in Melbourne. My son is one of the top players in Victoria in his age group and attends the National Development Squad at Tennis World two times a week. Earlier this week, Lawrence Robertson, the Director of Pathways and Game Development, visited us at Tennis World to educate people on UTR and highlight some myths about the algorithm. My observation and understanding of the algorithm suggests that the myths are in fact not myths. When I brought that to Lawrence's attention with examples, it was met with a very cold response. All Lawrence was doing was defending UTR and the broken process. UTR is a good idea, but it is being used in but is it being used in the right way is what I would ask. A couple of weeks back, my son played a tournament and his UTR dropped drastically as a result of that, even though he won three out of four matches that he played. As a mum, it was depressing for me to see how much stress he went through because of that one weekend. I decided to write an article and send it to Tennis Australia. But post my experience with Lawrence, I do not think it would make a difference. Hence, I am sending it to you. I haven't got time to read the full article uh, tonight, so I will hold that over. But I just wanted to tease uh, that uh, bit of correspondence uh, into uh, the mailbag. And uh, thank you for that. We will do a follow-up on that next week and uh, certainly keep uh, the UTR discussion alive. Just off the uh, Tennis Direct text, uh, BP, are there two flatter hitters off both wings than Kyrgios and Medvedev? Just trying to think off the top of my head. You're probably uh, you're probably close to a hundred percent, if not a hundred percent, right there. I can't think of one just off the top of my head, but you can contribute. Oh four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. Hope Purcell and Ebden go far in the doubles too. Yes, all the talk is about the K's, Kyrgios and Kokonakis, but uh, it was a great win in their second ranks. They played a lot of tight matches, and we know the Wimbledon run that they uh, went on and. They're going to be playing Davis Cup in a couple of weeks uh, for Australia. What would Nick's weight be today compared to three years ago when he was semi-professional? I don't have that off the top of my head, but Nick, to me, um, has always sort of carried uh, the same sort of body shape. Uh, He might be doing a little bit more uh, in the uh, background uh, than he has in the past. Uh, But, yeah, certainly, you know, he's he's covering the ground. Uh, Yeah, the talent is... uh, Absolutely freakish. Brett, Caroline Garcia versus Coco Goff should be a cracking quarterfinal. A bit off topic, with all the crazy dollars flying around in golf at the moment, are tennis players underpaid? $4 million US to be a winner of a regular LIV LIV event makes the similar winner's check at a Grand Slam winner receives um, look a little bit slim. I don't think certainly at the major level uh, that uh, they are underpaid. I mean, the the discussion is always, as we go down the tiers of tennis, at the challenger level, the ITF level, is there enough money? I know it's, it's an ongoing discussion, let me tell you, between all the bodies to provide more players in the game with an income. Uh, so that, that'll be a continued work in progress. It's just where you draw the line at uh, who, depending on your ranking, who should really make an income. Should it be the top 300 players who are past... Uh, you know, break even. So there's always that discussion that's continually going on. And I suppose there's also a certain amount of money in the game. Uh, there's not uh, just an endless uh, money pit. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Keep your thoughts uh, coming through tonight on the text 0433981116. But I agree with uh, Coco Goff and uh, Garcia. I mean, she is flying at the moment, uh, literally with the celebration at the end of her matches. Uh, what is it, 12 straight? I think 17 of her last 18. And being a bit older, uh, she obviously got to world number four at one stage, lost her way, the serve got the yips. But uh, she's you know the, the also come back with Mladenovic playing doubles. Had a, uh, a great partnership going back a few years ago. And the value of still playing some doubles for these singles players, I think, is probably a little bit underestimated. And Coco Goff, well, She's absolutely got the look in her eye that she's ready right now to win a major. She loves playing in New York, and gee, that backhand was uh, absolutely uh, sublime today. Uh, Ellie's in uh, St Kilda. Ellie, welcome to the show. Oh, hi, how are you? Very good, thanks. 
Um, yeah, we're just watching Kyrgios today. Um, so I can catch up. By the way, watching tennis on the, on demand is such an efficient way of watching it because not that it's better than watching live, but if you can't watch live, when you watch it on demand, you skip in between all the points. It's unbelievable. Like, you can watch a whole match in about an hour and, and 15 minutes. It's amazing. Anyway, yep. I was watching Kyrgios. And although with him, you have to be careful because he's so quick in between points. You can't do the normal skipping. There's two people you can't do the normal skipping for. Yeah. One is Kyrgios yeah. and one is Nadal for the, the completely opposite team. <laughs> anyway, Kyrgios, Kyrgios today, um, when I was watching the first couple of games, I thought, gee, after Kyrgios gets his first serve in and they start, and if, if Medvedev has a play on it and they start rallying, um, Kyrgios can't really hit through Medvedev. That's what I was. That's what I was thinking. I was thinking, gee, I can't see a way of Kyrgios winning. But then, um, then what he did was, it, like from what I see, he used the depth of the court. Mm. So in a couple of ways. Firstly, he found ways to come to net, and secondly, he found ways to bring Medvedev to net. And in in both situations, um, you know, w- the fact that he came to net meant that if he hit a good shot, he could take advantage. Yeah. Whereas if you don't come to net against Medvedev mm-hmm. and, it's, and the court is, you know, if the court isn't a super, super fast court, Medvedev will just eventually get back into the rally. And the only way you can really put him away is if he comes to net. The other way of unsettling Medvedev, which, which is what Kyrgios did, is he, he did a lot of drop shots. And mm-hmm. he, some of, a lot of Kyrgios' drop shots today actually weren't that good. But you just see when Medvedev comes forward to net, he just feels awkward. He yep. doesn't know what to do. He he hits so he just missed so many coming forward, and so yeah, he just Kyrgios found a way. He couldn't hit through Medvedev, so instead he he used the depth of the court to to, to beat him. So clever. Well said. Uh, good call. Thank you, uh, Ellie. You're right. I mean, he's cut from the same cloth Medvedev as Djokovic, so he'll he'll bully you from the baseline. The worst thing is to get in that baseline battle. So you've got to um, you've got to take your chances, get forward. If your approach shots are good enough, and you can uh, get a Medvedev a little bit off balance or uh, out of his hitting zone, then the error can come. Your risk being passed. I mean, you know, Alcaraz, uh, his natural instinct is just to get forward. He's confident when he uh, comes to the net. And uh, look, Pat Rafter and Nick Kyrgios haven't always been the best of chums. It'd be uh, fair to say, but I think if Pat was uh, sitting back watching that match uh, today, won the U.S. Open in '97, '98. Uh, serve volley personified. He would love what Nick was uh, producing today. Get in, put some pressure. You've got a, uh, an, a, a terrific ability to volley. His hands are just uh, exceptional, uh, Kyrgios. He's got those beautiful soft hands. And you know, you're asking Medvedev the question to come up with um, great passing shots all the time. So a little bit of risk uh, for reward, but that's what you've got to do against uh, these guys who can just uh, bully you from the baseline because he hits... Uh, with great depth, he's so accurate like Djokovic, doesn't miss uh, too often Medvedev, so you've got to try and uh, certainly uh, upset the rhythm. Uh, you can, of course, uh, head over to Asti Tennis Courts. They're trusted by Melbourne tennis clubs and councils, so check them out at aste.com.au. They are Melbourne's leading synthetic grass court surface and construction specialist. So Courtney Walsh just after nine. We'll have a chat to the Joneses. And Phil Mushnick, a sports columnist, has written... Uh, for the New York Post. Now, he's known for his scathing commentary and columns, uh, many of which are uh, very critical of a particular person. He has gone to town on the legacy of uh, Serena Williams. The only piece that I read on the weekend that was so different to all the uh, the adulation, uh, just reflecting on her unbelievable career, the legacy, how much bigger it is and just uh, tennis that she has contributed to uh, society, particularly with people with colour uh, over in the United States. But uh, this is... Um, a totally different lens, although it does shine on the parts of Serena's career that we all knew about, but sometimes we uh, brush under the carpet. But, yeah, the exit on the weekend, uh, I've got to say, look, it was emotional. I mean, nothing prepares you for the uh, farewell of these greats. When Roger departs the sport, his final uh, match, I think it'll probably be tenfold on uh, Serena. So that... Uh, to come in, um, well, likely 2023. Plenty more coming up, an extended edition till 9.30. Thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, leaders in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. Welcome to the First Serve, your home of tennis.
Extended edition of the first serve uh, leading into week two, day eight, uh, coming up from uh, 1am Eastern, the completion of the fourth round for the remaining spots in the uh, quarterfinals. We're going to go straight to uh, New York, our man on the ground who's taking in all things US Open is Courtney Walsh. Uh, Walshy, a very good morning, nice and early over there in the Big Apple. Yeah, good morning, Brett. Uh, certainly an eventful first week. Uh, great to have two Aussies alive heading into the second. The question off the top, well, she can both of them win it. Can you mount a case for both uh, to win it? Oh, I think you could certainly mount an argument for, for that. However, there is a long, long way to go, as we both know. <laughs> yeah. uh, three more uh, three more matches on uh, both sides. Yeah. Uh, Kyrgios Harshanov, uh, look, Kyrgios I think is certainly playing uh, the better tennis, but Harshanov's had some good wins. He was uh, too tough for Carino Buster yesterday in a, in a five-setter that realistically really, really was, uh, you know, it was up and down. It was certainly, uh, you know, a little uh, less one-sided uh, or, or more an even battle than what uh, Kyrgios Medvedev was. But, uh, you know, they, they've had some history before those two, so... Yeah, you certainly think Nick can will we'll get through him, but it's no given. Uh, and Tom Lenovic Jabur, well, we know what a fantastic mm. player Jabur is. Mm. We haven't seen necessarily that on the uh, on hard courts at the US Open, but over the first week she was particularly good. Uh, I thought in the first set last night she held her nerve in that tiebreaker. A little bit uh, suspect in the second after racing away with a big lead, but she was able to get the job done, and she's a fantastic player. But look. Tom Lenovic is playing as well as I've ever seen her. Yeah. And I thought she was really, really good at Wimbledon, but she's taken another step forward here. Uh, she has, and it's great to see. It's winning many hearts uh, back here in Australia, Walsh, I can tell you. So if we took uh, Kyrgios and Tom Lenovic out of the picture, who's best equipped here? We've still got the world number one on the women's side. We've got Coco Goff, who looks like she's ready. Uh, Ons uh, stinging from that Wimbledon final defeat and on the men's you've still got Rafa who hasn't lost a Grand Slam match this year, Alcaraz who my goodness I don't think there's a more watchable player than uh, Carlos Alcaraz and then Berrettini's the interesting one for me who's just cranking it up, that forehand is as devastating as uh, anyone in the game Look, no doubt at all and Berrettini had a a very very big win yesterday uh, over Davidovic, Fikina where he was really pressed all the way again, both men's matches uh, out on Louis Armstrong, went five sets, Berrettini was able to get through. Um, his consistency is something to marvel at, I've got to say, at, uh, at Grand Slam level. It's it's fabulous to see him able to sort of keep backing up time and again in quarterfinals, uh, semifinals. We know he made, made the final at Wimbledon. But look, uh, I think if he stays fit, the way Nadal has gotten through Fognini after dropping the first set where he was pretty poor... And then Gasquet, uh, clearly to me, it seems like he's working into his best form. And, well, we know he's been there and done it before and uh, effectively the defending champion of sorts in New York, given he wasn't there last year uh, when after you know, after famously winning a, a couple of years ago back in uh, back in 2019. He hasn't been since. So, But you know how well he plays on that court, uh, Arthur Ashe Stadium in New York. So I, I do think that the record he has both this year but also in New York. Uh, Nadal deserves favouritism. And in the women's, look, Sviantec, I had some question marks about going into the tournament because I, I just thought from Wimbledon onwards, she, yep. she looked a little suspect. I think I thought players were going after that forehand more regularly, but she has still got the most weapons mm. of any of the women left in that draw. Uh, you know, she that serves... Look, look, looks a little manufactured, but my word, it's effective. Uh, the forehand, she is landing more than what she's spraying at the moment. So I, I do think she deserves her favouritism. And again, she's been there and, and, and won Grand Slams, admittedly uh, on clay, but I think she deserves favouritism. Doesn't say that it's not uh, there for the taking from someone else. It's uh, Goff's been very, very good. I thought she was exceptional again yesterday. Uh, she's been tough. Yep. And she's playing some really good tennis. But, no, look, I think the the, the established champions deserve uh, top billing for now. No doubt. Uh, while she is here, thanks to Yarra Tennis Coaching at Eaglemont Tennis Club, they're just off the Eastern Freeway. Junior and adult programs available. Shane Scrutton is a beauty. In fact, uh, in form uh, for Eaglemont versus Eaglemont, the Derby over the weekend. Uh, Shane carved it up. Over 30 years coaching experience, whose mission is to improve your game, whether you're a complete beginner or a serious player. Check out yarratennis.com.au. 
Walshie, what's been the highlight of week one? Has it been a moment, a shot, uh, a match? What's the, if you close your eyes, is there one thing that just really stands out from all the great tennis that we've witnessed? Look, I, I don't think it's, I think it's impossible to go beyond uh, watching Williams, Tom Lenevic, uh courtside on Friday night, just the atmosphere. Look, we, we know Williams is not where she was, but I thought she played particularly well in that match, just she did against Contevit, certainly turned back the clock a little way uh, and showed tremendous fight. I, I know you've got another guest coming up next uh, who did touch on the lesser side of, uh, of, Tom and, uh, of Williams in terms of uh, some of her temperament, some of the things that she's done on that court and elsewhere, which uh, certainly that has been glossed over in all the fawning coverage uh, on American TV, uh, etc. But in terms of her on-court play... She was very, very brave, I thought, on Friday night, and uh, and it took someone with Tom Lanovic, you know, to be able to hold her nerve like she did. I think that's a highlight for mine. I think it was a, it was a, it was a tremendous farewell from a player who is iconic in tennis, yep, and a, just a superb performance from an Australian who really came of age. She certainly did. Well, she uh, great to chat and just set the scene for week two. We look forward to what is going to take shape. A, a couple of new champions to be crowned and. Australia still with uh, chances in singles, uh, doubles, uh, mixed doubles. Uh, the juniors going around as well. Uh, enjoy week two. Really appreciate the chat. Yeah, I suspect we might get a champion somewhere. I Let's so. hope at least one of them comes from the men's singles or the women's singles. Indeed, that would be magnificent. Courtney Walsh, he's on the ground in New York. He'll be uh, covering uh, week two of the US Open. A break. We'll come back with the Joneses next. Thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, leaders in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. The first serve, your home of tennis. Well, this is how it read uh, back in April at tennis.com.au. Sport runs through the veins of Gold Coast family, the Joneses, with the Queensland locals bringing an athletic lens to keeping up with the Joneses. From humble beginnings in Coomera Waters, siblings Hayden and Emerson Jones are making their mark on the tennis world, both having recently gained selection in the Billy Jean King Jr. team, the 16 and under, and Junior Davis Cup 16 and under teams, respectively. Emerson also gaining selection in the Australian World Junior Tennis 14 and under girls set to compete in India earlier in the year. The sibling duo come from a multi-discipline sporting background of cricket, karate, AFL, swimming and cross country with tennis reigning supreme in the Jones household. The Joneses also come from a strong sporting family with mother Loretta, a former Olympic silver medalist in triathlon and father Brad, a QAFL Grogan medalist. So Hayden has just turned 16, Emerson is 14. Just recently they won both the same event the ITF J2 tournament in Sydney, and I sat down with the pair over the weekend. It was really cool, to be honest, because Emerson's just been overseas, and we hadn't like spent that much time together as a family. And um, mum and dad flew down. Um, dad flew down before the first week of the fi- uh, before the first day of the finals, and um, yeah, it was really cool to like spend that together. And um, yeah, it was it was really fun. What about for you, Emerson? Uh, yeah, same thing. Um, it was it was really good, just us for like catching up in Sydney and achieving what we achieved, like together, Hayden and I. It was yeah, it was really good. Now you come from a family where the sporting genes sort of run through with your mum and dad and their background, and then I believe that both of you, like most young kids in Australia, you take up different sports, you try different sports, but you've sort of gone down the tennis path. Can you tell us, Hayden, if I can start with you, how I sort of eventuated that you picked tennis? Well, when I was younger, um, we have like some local courts at the tennis club, um, just, just in where we live. I used to go up and hit like cricket balls when I was younger on the court. Up on the courts was a local just resident coach, um, John Dutton, and he invited me over one day to do a squad. I jumped in and I just remember, like, I think I might have been just, like, four. I didn't really like it at first. And then a couple of years later, um, I think I might have been six, he brought me back in and was like, do you want to have another go? And, yeah, I just fell in love with it. And Emerson, do you, have you sort of followed, because the older brother was uh, got into tennis, did that lead you to picking tennis? Tell us a bit about your own path. Yeah, well, when Hayden used to go up and have lessons with John, I'd come up with Dad and I'd just hit on the other court with dad before I actually started even playing I was just to like run around the court and I didn't even play yeah it was it was good what is it about 
tennis. So if you just put sort of results aside, what do you just love about being involved in a sport like tennis? I think um, for me, I just really like, uh, I don't know, this might be like under results, but um, like just competing one-on-one with people. Like um, I used to play team sports. I used to play AFL, um, do a couple of other sports and it wasn't really the same. Like, um, but I really like the one-on-one sport and just like the feeling of, being out there, um, there's so much variety in the game, like different surfaces, different shots, so you can always improve and it never gets boring, to be honest. Well, that's an interesting point about playing that individual sport compared to a team sport where you've got to problem solve yourself. And, and the US Open these two weeks has been trialling uh, yeah. off-court coaching and we've been picking up through the mics just the coaches' interaction with their players. And in some matches, it's far more prevalent than others. Do you like sort of that scenario where you can problem solve yourself? But would you like to see maybe coaches involved more with uh, the actual on-court performances? To be honest, um, I don't know. I don't I don't actually like the coaching at all because when I'm playing, I kind of like doing my own thing, like figuring it out for myself. Yeah, I don't know. It just, I feel like it makes it more interesting because I think part of tennis is being able to think for yourself, like big points, like you, you, it's all on you. Um, you take responsibility. You don't have someone on the side like saying, "Oh, calm down, relax." Like you gotta, you gotta be able to handle that. I reckon. So um, I think that's what I really like about the no coaching. Hayden, if I could just stick with you just for a second. So you, your first uh, ATP uh, tour point this year, you're playing in the 25k up in uh, Canberra. You've put together a good uh, junior ranking at the moment. In fact, you're a number one Australian ranked junior with the ITF rankings uh, this week. Tell us how big the year sort of been for you, just taking that sort of next step up. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's been really, really cool. Great, great experiences. Um, yeah, especially the start of the year playing the Australian Open Juniors. And um, I got lucky. Tennis Australia gave me a wild card into the ATP Challenger and I got to play um, Ernest Golgus, which was really cool, really cool experience because yep. I remember like playing, like watching him play Federer at the French Open like four years ago and stuff like that. And yeah, it was, it was like, yeah, it was just really cool. And I think um, just as my ranking has gone up through the year, it's brought me like more opportunities. I got to play um, junior Wimbledon qualies. I think I snuck in for the last spot. Yeah, I just just had like lots of good opportunities and it's been a really great experience, yeah. Pretty incredible place, uh, Wimbledon. How would you describe it to people who haven't been there? Oh, it's definitely like unique. It's really cool because you grow up like watching it and everyone talks about it, but it's definitely different when you're like there. Um, like grass, like I remember they escorted, escorted me out with like bodyguards and um, they walk you through and onto the grass and playing on the grass, it's like, it's it's really cool just how they, they they just go through and just make the grass perfect for you. Um, yeah, it's just amazing experience. It's definitely my favourite tournament. Emerson, tell us about your journey so far. Obviously, both of you, like uh, most young Aussies, it was pretty tough through COVID, wasn't it? Not having playing opportunities, but you know, since we're about halfway through last year to about now, you've been able to get back to some sort of normality with tournaments. Tell us a bit about your journey so far and just how you've, how you've seen the competition. What I love is, like, competing hard and when you go out on the court, like what Hayden said, you just figure stuff out for yourself. I've only just started playing ITFs for my age, um, but I've had some really good opportunities playing them. I played Europe. I went to Europe for about four weeks, a month. And I loved, I loved playing over there because um, it was very different competition to what we have here in Australia. Um, all the girls play different. It was really good. When you say play different, describe that to our listeners. Take us inside that. You have to actually work harder for a point in Europe because they just they get everything back. They just grind. And it's just different to how we play in Australia. You're sort of part of the academy as well, which I'm going to go and visit in Brisbane in a, in a few weeks' time to to have a yeah. look just the value of being able to compete whether it's domestically or abroad because obviously you can you can train and, and put the base in obviously with fitness and you know technique and, and everything else but just the benefits of being able to compete often how, how beneficial is that yeah I think you just like show up and compete like every day it definitely gives you like a huge advantage to like always always show up um it just it just makes it that much harder for the opponent 
And like, I think the academy in Brisbane, the NTA they place, I know that my coach, Des Tyson um, and Brent Larkin, when they were work with me, they always place it on um, like bringing the value, like the, those values into training. Tell us just about your interactions with the other Aussie players and how valuable it is to just be around them for the, the experiences that they've actually had. At the academy, um, they have, um, I know John Millman and uh, James Duckworth train there and um, I hit it a fair bit with um, those two and they, it's really cool to see how much intensity they bring and like um, just like what values they bring to training. They're, they're each different. Like John, John's intensity is like always top notch, like no matter like how, how he's feeling. So um, I think that's something that I could definitely learn from them. They're always like lifting, lifting us younger players up. Like if I'm, I don't know, dragging the chain a bit or <laughs> feeling a bit tired. I know that like Ducks and like Johnny will like yell out to me and tell me to pick my act up or like I'm not I'm not yeah. doing well enough. It needs to be higher. So I think it's really cool and I think it really helps like improve you um, and you can learn a lot from the older guys. I mean, there's more countries playing tennis than ever before now, isn't there? There's countries that are producing players that never produce players. So the, the competition out there and on the global stage is... Uh, is pretty deep. But Emerson, what does a typical week uh, for you look like in terms of schooling, education, combining with tennis? How does it all work? So in the morning, I get up and I do an hour, an hour and a half of tennis. And then I come back home and then I do like a couple of hours of schoolwork on distance ed. And then I go back to the courts again and I train basically the same for the week. But if I also go for a run or a swim, if it's raining or something to keep my fitness up, Nice. Who do you love watching play? Are you a big watcher? Some people who play a sport don't necessarily always love watching the sport all the time, but are you a, a big tennis watcher? Who do you sort of love watching? If I had to watch someone, it would be Emma Raducanu because I just I love the way that she plays. She's really aggressive to the ball and her feet, how she moves her feet is just really good. It's probably the story that's inspired anyone your age, isn't it? That anything's possible? Yeah. An 18-year-old qualifier winning a Grand Slam, it was quite phenomenal. So what does the rest of uh, 2022 look for uh, for both of you? I'm going to India like in a couple, next week or something to play uh, ITF there. And then I come back and then I'm doing the Junior Billie Jean Cup. Um, it's in Turkey. I'd be there for a week, about a week. And then I'd come back for about two weeks and then... I go to Orange Bowl in America. Are you a natural yes. flyer, Emerson? Do you love flying? Yeah, I don't. It's actually pretty good. I don't mind it. No, I thought I'd ask. If you're going to do any good in this sport, you got to get used to flying. Hey, particularly from Australia. For me, well, I'm actually leaving on Monday to do the Orange Boy. I'm going to be the Orange Boy for the Davis Cup team, which will be a really cool experience. Looking forward to going over with Leighton, Tony Roach, Demona, and all those all those guys going. So I think that's going to be really cool. After that, I'm flying to India. Emerson's going to be there. Um, I'll come back for a bit. Um, I might be going to the JA in Osaka. And then there's a JA in Mexico. And then I'll go to Eddie Hearn Orange Bowl. And then come back for a bit and train for AO and the Aussie summer. Great experiences. And Hayden, I can't help but notice you're wearing a, a Kangaroos uh, top, mate. Tell us about your support <laughs> for the Kangaroos. They've had a horrible year, but you've recruited the Messiah coach. Yeah, I probably I probably shouldn't have worn this top now. <laughs> No, I'm not, I always wear my kangaroo jersey during training just to, yeah, I always, I always cop, cop rubbish for it though because they're obviously not going too well right now. But Alistair Clarkson will hopefully bring them, bring them some, bring them back a bit. How'd you become a Ruse fan? My dad, my dad supports them. So I just grew up um, watching them and I played AFL when I was younger. So I always loved the game. So I just grew up watching them and that, they, were, they were really good a couple of years ago. <laughs> they made like prelim finals and stuff. So it was, it was really good. And then gone a bit downhill from there, but yeah. <laughs> There's only one way and that's up and you've recruited the best coach of the last 20 years. So hopefully he can weave some magic. Great yeah, to yeah. have a chat to you guys. We'll continue to follow you and all the other Australian juniors who are making their way because we'd love to see more Aussies uh, out there having some great success but more importantly most importantly is to enjoy the sport and love what you do so yeah wish you all the very best thank, thank you. you thank you uh, two well-spoken uh, young Aussies uh, trying to make their way in tennis, uh, Hayden and Emerson Jones. Phil Mushnick, sports columnist, New York Post, opinion piece on the weekend. I swear to God, I'll effing take this ball and shove it down your effing throat. Serena Williams before a national and international TV audience to a Japanese lineswoman during the 2009 US Open. Well, we media folks have done it again. We've taken indisputable, reoccurring and conspicuous facts and buried them to create a sustainable fiction in service to nervous, cautious life. 
lies. It's known as the Tiger Woods media pandering syndrome. It's not enough that Woods and Serena Williams were superiors in their sports amongst the all-time best. To that, unfiltered nonsense had to be infused. They were the most noble to have ever played. Their unparalleled goodness may never be surpassed. They were the most extraordinary positive influences, role models, humanitarians, offspring, spouses, parents and selfless crusaders who have touched our otherwise miserable, desperate souls. This week, coast to coast and via all forms of media, Williams was crowned as more than a world championship tennis player. She's a woman of extraordinary valour and class. Doesn't matter how much evidence to the contrary, and there's plenty. It was wishful, ignorant, obligatory and unnecessary rubbish. Or are the Tiger Woods impaired driving academy and the Serena Williams charm school coming to a strip mall near you? Tennis may never again be graced by a woman who was such a relentlessly rotten winner and worse loser. She, and only she, was the reason she won or lost. If she extended credit to an opponent, it was heard as insincere, brief and cold. Was it mere coincidence that many in attendance at Williams' second round win on Wednesday felt entitled to boorish bully behaviour in support of Williams? Cheering opponent Annette Conovate's errors, including her double faults. During and after the match, judging from her silence, Williams' media personification of the sportswoman was good with that. It was a different take to all the adulation for Serena. You can read that full story at the New York Post. Uh, week two, let's salute an Aussie winner. Hopefully in New York, we'll talk to you next Monday. G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game, KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun, free and easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005.